Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Just curious, how many of you have heard of that hymn before? All right. Very good. So this hymn is filled with joy as it fixes our eyes on the giver of all good things, God's grace. But maybe you don't know that this hymn was written by a pastor who suffered greatly. Yet, he always pointed to the goodness and grace of God. Let me introduce you to Martin Rinkhart. He was 31 years old in 1637, and he found himself as the only remaining pastor in Elenburg, Germany. War and plague desolated the community, resulting in all the other pastors either dead or relocated. This man officiated a total of 4,480 funerals during this time, which at the peak was about 40 funerals per day, one of them being his own wife. This man suffered greatly, yet instead of turning his back towards God, he gifted the church a beautiful hymn that focused us on the goodness of God. One commentator said this about Martin, in the darkest hours of the epidemic, Young Pastor Rinkart served as a beacon of light and hope for others. This man suffered, yet he recognized the goodness and grace of God. We haven't suffered like he did. There might be some suffering. Some of us experience some loss. But we, too, can point to the goodness and grace of God in this fallen world. We're going to have the privilege of seeing another man who suffered greatly, He, too, is going to cling to Jesus in submission and praise as he marvels at the grace of God. So let's take a look at our passage in Luke's gospel as we continue to journey with Jesus. If you could turn to Luke chapter 17, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 19 this morning. That's Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Here is what the text reads. On the way to Jerusalem, he, being Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. And they lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, he praised God with a loud voice, fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan? Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well or saved you. 
Let's pray. Dear God, we are so thankful for an opportunity to gather together to open your text here in Luke chapter 17 and to marvel at the goodness of Jesus Christ. I pray for each heart in here, for those of us that know you as Lord, that we would have a grateful heart, a heart full of thanksgiving, recognizing that every good and perfect gift is from above. And most importantly, the salvation that was offered by our precious Messiah. May we always say thank you, thank you, thank you for your kindness. I pray for the heart that doesn't know you, that's maybe in this room or listening online. I pray that you would do a work in their heart showing that person the beauty of Jesus Christ, how he's worthy of worship and praise. So would you do an awesome work today? We pray that you'd be glorified and honored. Thank you again for your word and the fact that it's inspired and we can trust it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a common theme throughout the Gospel of Luke. Some scholars call it the great reversal, where the reader expects one outcome, but then is totally shocked by the fact that there's this other conclusion they never would have anticipated. We saw this two weeks ago. I'll bring you back to the rich man and Lazarus, where the rich man ends up being the one begging, and Lazarus is in glory with God. It was a reversal that no one expected. We're going to see another great reversal today in our text, so let's unpack what's happening. Look at verse 11. We're going to read 11 through 13. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance, and they lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. We have to look at that very first phrase. Verse 11 starts out by saying, on the way to Jerusalem. Keep in mind, the fact that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem is telling the reader of the future events that are about to happen. Think about what Jesus is going to experience in Jerusalem. It's a location where he's going to be flogged, beaten, ridiculed, spit on, mocked, tortured, and crucified. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to experience that, ultimately paying for your debt and my debt. He has the full wrath of God ready to be bare down on his shoulders. So keep that in mind as it says, on the way to Jerusalem. It's not just a small phrase. Luke wants us to think about what's about to happen. So as he's on his way to Jerusalem, he is passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and he enters a village, and he's met there by ten lepers. What is a leper? This is a person who's suffering from a frightful skin disease. Leprosy today exists, but it appears to be different than what they experienced back in the Old and New Testament. And so I wanted to do some research, so I looked at a commentator who helped me understand the implications of leprosy back then. I want you to hear the social component of this leprosy. This is what the text or the commentator says. Leprosy was generally regarded as a plague sent by God to punish the sufferer. Leprosy was regarded as so incurable that lepers were reckoned among the living dead. A cure was regarded as unlikely, and only God could make it happen. 
The serious social result of leprosy was that the sick person would be excluded from society according to the order in Leviticus 13.45, which says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let the hair of his head hang loose, he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! Wherever he went, that's what he would have to say. Not only the objects touched by a leper became unclean, even when he entered a house, everything in it immediately became unclean, end quote. In summary, to have leprosy during this time was similar to receiving a death sentence. You were an outcast, and everything, everyone you came into contact with was made unclean. Talk about a troubling, dire situation. This was the lowest of lows in Jewish society. So Jesus enters the village, and he meets ten lepers who are at a distance, which is what they were to do. These lepers lift up their voices, and what they're supposed to say is, unclean, unclean, but instead they call on the only one who can make them clean. So instead of saying, unclean, unclean, they're petitioning Jesus, cleanse us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They plead with Jesus to display mercy. That word mercy, I want to focus in there, but before I tell you the definition, mercy is a beautiful name for a little girl. And so I just encourage you, and that is just a tremendous name. But what does it mean? What is mercy? Mercy means to show kindness or concern to someone in serious need. Do you feel that these lepers were in serious need? Absolutely. I love this definition. They were the lowest of lows, and they knew that Jesus Christ was the only one who could heal them. How will Jesus respond? Remember, he's on the way to Jerusalem. He's got a lot on his mind. He knows what's going to happen to him there. Let's see how he responds. Look at verse 14. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Did you catch that? Jesus saw them. He didn't turn a blind eye. He saw them. Jesus responds differently than the rich man just a chapter ago. The rich man ignored Lazarus, who was in serious need, who needed mercy. Jesus displays mercy and compassion. Amen. Isn't this a wonderful text already? He calls them to go to the priests. This was necessary for them to display that they were cleansed from leprosy. So all ten of them, to a certain degree, demonstrate faith by going. And the scriptures tell us that they were cleansed. That word cleansed means that their impurity was removed. Their leprosy was gone. Praise the Lord. I just told you there was no cure. Only God could do it, and God did it. Jesus did the miraculous. This is a true historical event. And Luke could have just stopped there. We would have been in awe. Wow, Jesus has power over even leprosy. Could have ended there, but Luke continues the narrative. So let's see what unfolds next. Verse 15 and 16. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, 
He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, and he gave him thanks. Church, the redeemed heart is a thankful heart. The redeemed heart is a thankful heart. This passage here shows us the right response to Jesus Christ. One of the ten saw that he was healed. And what's the first thing he does? He turns back. He goes back to Jesus. Instead of following the other nine to show the priests, he turns an absolute adoration of his beloved Savior. This must have been a marvelous moment. Can you imagine being there witnessing this event? A leper who could not be around anybody without proclaiming how unclean he is, is now turning back, fixing his eyes on the Messiah, the one who just healed him. Can you imagine the joy that must have flooded this man's soul? He was alone. He was an outcast. And in a moment, now he can run to the Messiah. This must have been a marvelous moment. wish I could have seen this in person. A man who is lowest of lows is given freedom from the one of the most debilitating diseases of the time. From complete isolation to having the opportunity to re-enter the community he was exiled from. He was given a new lease on life. Old relationships could now be restored. And instead of going full speed into that new life, he remembers the giver of the life and turns back to thank him. Look at what he does next. He praises God with a loud voice. The word praising means to speak of something as being unusually fine and deserving of honor. Is Jesus Christ unusually fine and deserving of honor, church? Yeah, you betcha. And he did this in a loud voice. This man was thrilled about what God did. He couldn't refrain from making sure that all of us knew what God just did. Anybody within listening distance, he wanted them to know Christ healed him. He's in a village. So a man praising a God, praising God is going to draw a lot of attention. All eyes are on him. For instance, you can imagine in the downtown district of Newtown, right outside the Starbucks on State Street, someone yelling and praising God, everybody's going to want to know what just happened. And so all eyes are on this man. Everyone is now hearing that he was delivered from leprosy. They would have known that he was a leper. They would have seen him begging. They would have heard him say, unclean, unclean. And now they see him running and praising God. All eyes are on him. What's he do next? He fell on his face at Jesus' feet. This is worship. This is submission. This man's acknowledging that Jesus is worthy of praise. It's adoration of Christ. And this is the proper response to the work of Jesus. The heart that repented from sin and turned to Jesus can't help but worship the awesome God that they love. The man demonstrates this correct response, falling in submission, complete adoration, and love for Jesus. Worship is reserved for God alone. 
Worship of anything else is idolatry. We see that in Exodus 23 that says, You shall have no other gods before me or besides me. God alone is worthy of worship. Worshiping anything else is sinful. This man gets it. He's falling at the feet of Jesus. That's the one whom we should be worshiping. And the last thing he does, he gives him thanks. Expressing gratitude. This man was so grateful for all that Jesus did for him, and he expressed it. That's a command throughout the entirety of the scripture to give thanks to the God who's done so much for you and for me. Psalm 9, verse 1 through 2 says this, I'll give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I'll recount all your wonderful deeds. I'll be glad and exult in you. I'll sing your praise. Sing praise to your name, O Most High. In Revelation, so I gave you an Old Testament. Now let me take you all the way to the end. Revelation 11, 15 through 7, 17. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. There were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God, what do they do? Fell on their faces. Hmm, It's similar to what we just read, huh? And they worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, O Lord, God Almighty, who who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Church, we have so much to be thankful for. The greatest gift is Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross who purchased me from my sin debt, adopted me into his family. What a tremendous gift. That's something I should be thanking God for every moment. Also, God's been so gracious giving us this body of believers that we have the privilege of corporately worshiping the Lord together in song, in the preaching and teaching of God's word. I love the hymn, Count Your Blessings. Anybody else enjoy the Count Your Blessings? It's a great reminder that day by day, we should be thanking God for all that he's done. One opportunity is going to be coming up next month, so stay tuned for that. As we get close to Thanksgiving, we have an opportunity where we meet together and we praise God together. We're mindful of all the things that he's done for us. So stay tuned for that coming up next month. The redeemed heart is a thankful heart. This man, he turned back. He praised God with a loud voice. He fell on his face before Jesus' feet, and he gave thanks. This is a wonderful God-honoring response to Jesus Christ. It's a response that we would expect from a God-honoring, God-fearing person. So Luke gives us the response of this man, but then he's going to bring the shocking revelation that follows about this individual. Look at what the scripture says next. Now he was a Samaritan. The Jewish people looked at Samaritans as half-breeds. Therefore, the Jewish people did not hold Samaritans in high regard. In fact, they would detour around Samaria so they didn't have to interact with the Samaritans. Samaritans didn't do anything right from the Jewish perspective. So when I read this the first time, um, as I'm prepping for this, I just circled that word Samaritan. I said, something doesn't sound right about that. There's no way that the Samaritan was the one to get it right and turn back to Jesus. That just doesn't make sense. 
And so I did a Bible word study specifically on that word Samaritan, thinking maybe the English translators, they might have gotten it wrong here. And so I did research, and here's what I found. The word translated Samaritan in the Greek means a person who's native of Samaria. (laughs) The translators, they got it right. A great reversal. There were ten lepers, one of them being a Samaritan. The other nine are presumed to be Jewish lepers who would be familiar with the teachings of God. Only one of the ten comes back in adoration, praise, and thankfulness. Surely that has to be one of the nine Jewish ones. There's no way, like we can just rule out the one Samaritan. Has to be one of the nine Jewish ones. Nope. Luke tells us it's the Samaritan who displays faith and gratitude. Does it remind you of another time where the least suspecting person is the one who helps and the one we'd expect to help just kind of passes by? What story am I talking about? The good Samaritan, nicely done, in Luke chapter 10. Again, Samaritans didn't do anything right in their view when in reality this Samaritan is the only one who did the right thing. Look at verse 17 through 19. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? He said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus responds to the man's praise, saying, We're not ten of you cleansed. Where are the others? It's a rhetorical question, but it tells us one of them got it right, nine of them didn't. And Jesus says, the foreigner is the one to get it right. That word foreigner is worth unpacking. It means a person belonging to a different socio-political group with the implication of a lack of kinship ties. This was somebody outside the Jewish faith, unfamiliar with the Jewish teachings. Yet, the one outside the faith demonstrates faith. Do you see why this is such a shocking text? The one outside the Jewish faith demonstrates faith in the Messiah. If you spend any time in the Gospels, you'll quickly realize that Jesus was often ignored by his own, and he was embraced by those outside the Jewish faith. The Jewish leaders rejected the Messiah, but we see Gentiles display faith and trust in Jesus. See, it reminds me of a humbling truth. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians. Keep your finger in Luke, but turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to look at verse 26 through 31. 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 26 through 31. If you're on a high horse and you're thinking, I got it all together, this is a great passage to go to that reminds us of that Christ is the only one that we can boast in. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31 says this, For consider your calling, brothers, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
The Samaritan, in the eyes of the Jewish leader, would have fit all these categories. They would have seen this man as foolish, as weak, as low, as despised. And on top of that, he had leprosy, which made his situation even worse. Yet, this man displays incredible faith and gratitude towards Christ. This man was the lowest of lows, and yet he knew that Jesus was worthy of worship. What does Christ say next? Rise, so go back to Luke. Rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. Some translations will say your faith has made you well. This is best understood that this man was not just rescued from the physical illness, but he was rescued from eternal separation from God. Why would I make that case? The ten lepers were healed physically. It tells us that they were cleansed. We look at what that word meant. This is the only leper that was healed twice. Why would leprosy need to be healed two times? The answer is it, it doesn't. This man was healed physically from leprosy in the first healing, and in the second was his spiritual healing. This man was redeemed. Again, it emphasizes that this man, his response to God was submission to Jesus, adoration of Jesus. His trust was on Jesus Christ. He was a child of God. Think about what happened in that moment. What a tremendous change this man just experienced. He was the lowest of lows, absolutely broken. His upbringing as a Samaritan would have caused a chasm between him and the Jewish people. Then on top of that, he had the worst disease you could acquire at the time. That totally isolates you and removes any opportunity to participate in the community of faith. He was an outcast of outcasts. He was an outcast of outcasts. But in a moment, he received the greatest title we could ever be given, a child of God. In that moment, outcast of outcasts, the child of God. What a wonderful passage. Now I'm going to make an assumption, which I know can be dangerous, but most, if not all of us, never had leprosy, probably never experienced this kind of sorrow, but Ephesians 2.12 tells us that we stand on very similar ground as this Samaritan leper. This is what the text reads, Ephesians 2.12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having how much hope? No hope without God in the world. He's writing to believers in Ephesus. Notice it's past tense. But we all were in the same situation as the Samaritan leper. Helpless. In desperate need. Then, church, came our precious, precious Messiah who cleansed us spiritually from our sin through his own blood on Calvary's cross. That all who confess and repent of their sin and submit to Christ, recognizing he is Lord, are brought into the family of God that we too can be called a child of God. What's the right response to Christ? The Samaritan gave us the perfect blueprint of a faithful response. We look to Jesus. We fix our eyes on him. 
We praise God with a loud voice. We fall at his feet in submission and worship, and we give him thanks. So what are some applications? Number one, I remember at Lancaster Bible College, which, let me just say, is a great college, by the way, great Bible college. My friends and I would ask each other, how's your heart? And this was our way of getting past the, how are you, good, how are you, good, okay, bye. We wanted to know what's really going on. How is your heart? And so I want to ask each of you, how's your heart? Ezekiel 36:26 tells us there are two kinds of heart. This is what it says. I will give you a new heart, new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone. That's our heart prior to Jesus Christ and his work in our life. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And the second heart is I'll give you a heart of flesh. So church, if there's any in you that still have a heart of stone, I'm praying that God removes your heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. That you'll have the same response that the Samaritan does when he encountered Jesus. Absolute, total adoration of the Lord. Recognizing he's the one who gave himself on the cross for our sin. I'm praying you'll repent of your sin and you'll fall at the feet of Jesus. Jesus had the power to change a Samaritan's heart who had leprosy. I think he's capable of changing any heart. If you know Christ and you have a heart of flesh, I'm praying that God gives you an even greater amount of love and gratitude towards him. I'm praying you'll have the same thankful heart of the Samaritan who went around with a loud voice proclaiming the works of God. I'm praying you don't fear what people will think of you as you share Christ, but you'll proclaim his goodness to a world that is desperate for good news. Here's a challenge. I'm looking around, and myself included, not all of us are hymn writers like Pastor Martin. So I wanted to think, what's another opportunity that I can provide? I have some mason jars. You might have seen them when you were coming in. They have little sticky notes inside. I want to encourage you to be diligent to record all the ways that you've seen God's grace in the upcoming week, and hopefully you'll practice it beyond that. So when you see God's grace, maybe at the end of the day or in the moment, pull out your jar, grab a sticky note, write on it the date, and here's how I saw God's grace. You'll be astonished as you'll see that jar is going to fill up fast. Then over the next week, I'd like you to email me at the email address stories at gracepointpa.org of a handful of ways that you experience God's grace this upcoming week. I'm going to record all those in, in a little spreadsheet, and I'm going to have them sent out to a newsletter um, with our GP News. I'll have Steve help me with that. The Grace Point family can all recognize the goodness and grace of God as we all experience it this upcoming week. And then as a family, I encourage you to continue that because we can be quick to complain and slow to praise. And so... If you're interested, we have a limited number of jars out there, so let me just encourage you, if you take one, please participate. You can also build your own at home. They don't take too much effort to make. So church, if we had our eyes in tune to God's grace and his goodness, we would praise God a whole lot more, and we would be selfish a whole lot less. The redeemed heart is a thankful heart. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much. You are such a gracious God. 
as we see the the faith demonstrated in the Samaritan leper, it started with you seeing them, you having compassion and mercy on them, you healing them, and then the Samaritan leper turns back in absolute joy, recognizing that he's been healed. And he recognized you're so much greater than just the good physician. You did the same thing in my life and the life of many people here. We were helpless. We were without hope, without you. And you stepped in, going to Calvary's cross, bearing our sin, bearing our shame, that we might have life, we might be called a child of God. We celebrate. We say, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.